The Right Sariki Sanchez podcast is presented by DraftKings Sportsbook. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app. Use promo code RTRS when you sign up. And brought to you by Big Barker Therapeutic Dog Beds. Get yours with the process pup patches only at bigbarker.com slash Ricky. Touchstone Electric Fireplaces. Get yours for 15% off at zerodeadbirds.com. Use promo code TTP. And LL Pavorsky Jewelers, where Right Sariki Sanchez listeners go and get engaged. On the pod today, holy smokes, a long time coming, I think. In some ways, it seems uh, appropriate. Daryl Morey, general manager of the Houston Rockets, joins us. Talk about Sam Hinkie and Robert Covington and uh, whatever else we talk to him about because we're recording this before we've talked to Daryl Morey. So, uh, boy, the, the offseason is ending in, a, in an incredible way. And it ends in an incredible way as we actually have Sixers basketball to talk about. Um, like, they played... Uh, boy, the hype train is is at 100 again. Would you agree, Mike? At least 100. We needed it. Yeah, we surely did. We surely did. Uh, before we get going, a few things. The playoff t-shirt, the hostage, the tie-dye hostage Orlando playoffs t-shirt is available now at rightstorikisanchez.com. The uh, DraftKings hostage playoffs pool is free to play and a $500 prize. I would go over on the Simmons threes, as I've been saying. Um, just go to rightstreakysanchez.com to enter that. And my Chuck talk, another, if you need more of me and Chuck Klosterman, um, I am hosting a thing on Wednesday night with him, uh, sponsored by the Midtown Scholar Bookstore. Just go to this post on rightstreakysanchez.com to sign up for it, register for that, and buy the book with promo code RTRS. Get free shipping and a free book from Chuck. And finally, we want to wish, uh, send love to the Wall family as a longtime process pup, Trotter, um, passed away this week. Um, I, I got a couple of messages from people that now when we talk about these things, they get teary-eyed too. Uh, Trotter, Trotter was 14 years old, um, walked down Broad Street after the Phillies won the World Series in 08, um, and was adopted very young from ACT Philly, which is a, a great shelter in Philadelphia. A lot of pit bulls that act and uh they, they always need a lot of help so um we wanted to thank uh the wall family for sharing uh the news about trotter and wanted to send them our love um and rest in peace trotter without any further hmm, without any further ado amos and the chef Welcome to the Rice Ricky Sanchez podcast. I'm Spike Eskin, along with a guy who got up super early, just like in the good old days of the Ricky, so we could talk to Daryl Morey. That is Mike Levin. Good mm. morning, sir. Good morning. It's time, now we, we just interviewed him, so I am now awake, yeah, but at the beginning yeah. of that, I don't know that I was. Yeah. 
Um, Daryl, uh, very excited about it. Darryl, the interview with Daryl is really awesome. So uh, don't skip this part, obviously, because for a lot of people, it's been a long time since we talked about actual Sixers. Basketball. A game. Uh, an actual game. And and bef- before we get going, I, I do want to make a send a thank you out to... So we are assuming that all of this continues and it looks like it's going to, we are like, we're ending like the craziest off season we've ever had, believe it or not, somehow in the history of the podcast. Um, Four and a half months of unexpected off season in which we uh, (laughs) decided to podcast twice a week anyway. And I, I wanted to, I just wanted to thank because I, I've, it has been a source of actual stability in my life during this. Um, I wanted to not only, and we'll, we'll name all the people that were on, but I want to thank all of the people who listened, who send us notes that were like, thank you for doing it during this. I think it was a, it was really nice to know that people stuck by us during this. Um, and for me, it was like having them be part of it and, and doing this with you twice a week was like this all right, well, everything's falling apart, but we do this on the internet, so we can do it anyway, was a, just sort of a nice source of, like, one part of normalcy, as unnormal as this is. So yeah. I'm, just, I'm appreciative of everyone. And we always do it from far yeah. away, so it really didn't Yeah, it didn't any change different. anything. Um, the list of guests, so this is who we ended up having. We had Amos and Mutlu twice. Uh, we finally had Eliza Hardy-Jones on. Matt from Mount Joy. Hassan Bennett, who was uh, wrongly convicted of murder, spent 13 years in jail, and then acted as his own lawyer to win in the trial. We had that guy on the radio. Um, We had Alyssa, your girlfriend, and uh, Taylor uh, from their podcast, Table Flipping Podcast. My all-time favorite singer, Butch Walker. We had Kevin Arnovitz, Larry Hughes, world champion uh, bowler Bill Mm O'Neill, our dads, Glenn and Howard, Chris Ryan, G. Love, Greg from Colony Meadery, Eric from Big Barker, Sylvester Mobley from Coded by Kids, Justina from Providence Animal Center, John Gonzalez and Colleen Wolf, Ben from Kinetic, Cornblow, LL, Adam Kasabi, Kevin O'Connor, uh, Chuck Klosterman, presidential candidate Andrew Yang, and, and today Daryl Morey. Like it was a, a pretty like intense run for a podcast that never actually even liked having guests. Um, it was a pretty awesome run of guests I solid run yeah. and uh shockingly more to come yes yes <laughs> yes you never know so so a game happened yesterday and why don't we make our, our coverage of the game our talk about the game brought to you by kinetic skateboarding i don't know if you saw this week they did the ben and jerry's or no it was the grateful dead nike sb dunks like that they had a raffle for they always get those shoes, and I always feel bad for Ben every time they get those shoes because they get a limited number and they have people camping outside the store. Mm. Um, but that's where you get stuff you can't find anywhere else. Our friends at Kinetic Skateboarding get 9.1% off your first order with promo code uh, Dave Silver at kineticskateboarding.com. Uh, there was a game yesterday, Mike. And before we talk about the actual game, I actually thought watching a game without any of the fans, like the actual experience of watching the game seemed pretty look pretty normal to me i i don't know it, it didn't it didn't strike me that there weren't fans yeah i would say baseball or basketball is the the sport that will be able to hang the most with no fans because mm. baseball's weird it's just weird and it's you know it's pretty uh s- static as it is yeah. and so not having the energy of the crowd and even just like the milieu of the crowd to 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 
hype up a moment, even you know it's the eighth inning, ninth inning, you're, you start to get tense, whatever. That's even gone. Visually, visually, seeing all the open seats is like striking. I Absolutely. think when it's just pitcher and catcher and batter, it's fine. But then when they pull back and you see right. the whole thing, it's weird. Yeah. But basketball, it's like we've seen. You know, we first of all, TBT was was on, and summer league mm-hmm. is not. You know, we've seen enough Orlando summer league to to know what it's like in an empty gym. Utah. And yeah, Utah as well. There's plenty of there's plenty of that, and I think basketball you can when it's an intense moment, you can see the players play more intense. You know, if you need to feel that like energy, you know, mm-hmm. to 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 indicate one way or the other. But yeah, I think it's been, I think it's been it was good. I thought you know people had you know some issues with how loud the the uh, dribbling was and the rims sound kind of weird, but they'll adjust that or whatever, and it doesn't yeah. super matter to me. But I love that it was a home game and there's still some like, you know, here come the Sixers played at the end. That was yeah. something I was uh, wondering about and I'm very happy about it. It's funny that the same court, the Sixers will, uh, if they win, if they're home or away, <laughs> despite there being no uh, other tangible differences. Yeah. Um, the Mr. Burns excellent, I think, when there was a free throw. I think we heard that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's pretty yeah. cool. Uh, I mean, what a game, man. They yeah. obviously looked rusty. Obviously. Uh, yeah. For for a bunch of a bunch of moments, and there were a couple like really clunky, everybody's in the lane mm-hmm. type moments, and some weird passes or like shooting into like you know dribbling into traffic or whatever. Fine, but holy shit, like that was very necessary for me to see, and what a beautiful thing, all of it. So many good things to talk about. Well, I think we would be remiss if we didn't talk about the Simmons shooting as the first part of it. Um, yeah, you called, you called two threes and he went, he delivered for you. Yeah. I, I've been feeling like, I think, I don't know why, but previously when we've seen these in the gym, I just haven't bought it. Um, like, and we've seen it a lot. And, and to your point, you needed to see it to believe it. I think a lot of people were there. We've seen this. But to me, and I, I know a lot of people laugh when, or, or shake their head or think I'm like Mr. Anti-Ben guy when I say this, but to me, the, the actual decision from him and, and the team to say, there will be another person who we will refer to as a point guard and a significant decision that your role as Ben is not going to be everything, it will still be everything, but it is going to be different was a decision that like meant other things. And I really think that he has to know, he has to, because I think playing point guard and having the ball a lot in some ways protected him against having to shoot because he'd have the ball and he didn't, you know what I mean? Like there were other things to do. Sure. When, you, when, you're, when you're part of the offense and not the ball, care, the ball handler, it, it puts you in that position. And both of them looked comfortable and fine. And even the first one, the guy was was not on him, but he was on him. It wasn't like he was just sitting there wide open. Yeah, Kyle Anderson, that was the closest he's taken a three with anyone around, for sure. Yeah, and it, like, like, look, his hands are still not in the right place, but that's how he's going to fucking shoot. Like, yeah. he's never going to fix his form. His, so they, his feet are couldn't be less square. Yeah, Whatever. but, but, but he's going to have to be one of those guys, and there are plenty of players that do this, from, like, Tim Hardaway to Sean Marion to, like, like perfecting as best you can the wrong way to shoot so mm-hmm. it goes in. Um, and he looked comfortable shooting them both. And he's going to shoot them. Like he's going to sh- And especially him missing the first one. Ah, uh, love that he missed the first one. Well, I love that he missed the first one and he shot a second one. Absolutely. That is the move to, because 
his whole thing is doing things that he that don't always have a good result. Somehow he'll take fucking every hook shot in the post known to man. Um, <laughs> I can't I keep taking them. But the three, like it worried me that he missed the first one. He wasn't going to take the second, but he took the second and he made it. And like, he's going to shoot him. He's going to shoot those. Corner threes sponsored by Alonzo Jones. Yeah. Yeah. Come on, man. Uh, no, I was, I was really happy about it. It's, it was a shockingly enjoyable scrimmage. Even as they started to give up the lead, it was still, I was still having a great time. Um, really just nice to have these people back who are intent on just, just beating the shit out of my subconscious and making mm-hmm. me think about them all the time and, uh, breaking my heart and I'm ready for it. I was not, I had to protect myself against Ben a little bit just because it's like, we've seen it, we've seen it in practice, mm-hmm. but the, those look different. There was no. No one was yelling for him to keep to do it. It was yeah, just Joel him. wasn't screaming at him to shoot. No, it was yeah, just him yeah. taking a regular shot. And uh, as Daryl later points out in the podcast, like we've just had uh, so many times in Philadelphia that there are people that just like wouldn't shoot, couldn't shoot, didn't have, you know, if only he has the shot kind of thing. And um, for one of them to work out is so foreign to me. Um, not that he's going to all of a sudden become JJ Redick, but. Just a willingness and to a willingness to shoot like two honestly two or three times a game is so good. It's so good for the offense. It's so good for everybody. Just like it, just like losing the elephant in the room is such a nice thing. We can just play a little more free. Everyone doesn't have to like, you know, you know, tighten their sphincter as they're like, well, he, is he gonna shoot? When is that? What's the deal with that? Why can we talk to him about it? Like, it's, I'm sure it was just been weird for everyone forever. Um, and I'm glad that Ben's just, it's, we're going to so much like psychoanalysis analysis well, with this team, like all the time, but I'm just well, glad but, that but that's what it is. I mean, that's, that's what it is. And I also believe that, that Brett was definitely at a fuck it sort of moment with talking about it before it happened, because I, I believe he didn't have to say anything about Ben shooting threes you know like he could have given a standard answer but he gave even before the game he continued to say there's been a shift in how he's thinking he's doing it and I think to a certain extent Brett was Brett knows where he is in his like uh in in how um you know shaky his future is with the team and I think to a certain extent he's like fuck it this guy's doing it in practice I'm gonna tell everybody he's doing it in practice and if he doesn't do it in the games that's on fucking him Ben if you shoot you will save my job yeah yeah I I I truly believe that 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 he is sort of at a a fuck it moment yeah why not I also you know Embiid I thought looked rusty but generally fine especially defensively I thought he was moving pretty nicely Mm-hmm. Uh, he fell down early. Does he trip over like a ref? Yeah, he jumped over. Well, didn't he jump over? <sighs> yes, he fell down early, but then didn't fall. There was another time where he stopped himself from falling down. Yeah, but there was a fall early. It was it's definitely a first. All the greatest hits of Sixers yeah. uh, concern were were all back in in full display. But I thought he was fine after going after like Brett saying. I don't think we've talked about this, but that Horford and Embiid have not played on the same practice team together. No. Um, Memphis is a team that you can do that against because they do kind of still start two traditional bigs in, mm-hmm. in Jaron Jackson and, and Jonas Valanciunas plus Gorgie Jang and uh, Brandon Clark, who I love. Um, 
So they're, they're, it makes it easier rather than if it's somebody that plays more like just, you know, outside, inside guys. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought they looked theoretically fine. Al looked okay. He missed a couple layups and did the clap, which yeah. is crazy. Uh, there's something that I'm having... I will have nightmares about him clapping after a missed layup for sure or a missed little baseline jumper wide well, open. Wait, a quick Horford note. So I was going through with our friends at Crack Bell who, have, who sell our T-shirts, and we put a bunch of the old T-shirts on sale that we're never going to print again. And, like there's some up there that are like 12 bucks, 13 bucks, whatever. And I asked them how many of each one are left. <laughs> I, think, I think there's plenty of Horfords. Well, we sold a lot of Horfords. It's like our second or third most popular shirt ever. But... I told them, I'm like, I feel like there, we could have a Horford moment and those shirts will be in, in demand again. I was yeah. like, don't put them on sale. I was like, regular price on the Horford shirt. I believe in the Horford shirts. I, I don't. Wow. What a commitment. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I mean, he looked okay. He looked okay. He was moving around a little bit. Uh, I don't think that they're, all of a sudden we're going to see like, 2015 Al um, but uh, just needs to be fine enough I think he I thought he disrupted a couple lobs and just like played that a little bit better um, that's the, the the most frustrating thing about Al defensively is how often it seemed like he would get caught in no man's land in between a driving guard that could hit an easy you know four foot floater over him or just finish around him at the rim or between that and the guy that's just a lob threat behind him. And it seemed like yeah. always Al was just kind of standing there and like getting like lightly dunked on every single time. And uh, and it, I would love that to be cleaned up. And that's the thing that you don't even appreciate as much visually about Embiid because he just does it so naturally. He has such just like a sixth sense about how, where to stand and how to affect uh people's shots at the rim without even without committing one way or the other you know he still he just kind of can play both guys at the same time it's really impressive and so al al being just a little older and a little less long and and physical yeah. um means means it's harder to do but i thought he did a nice job yeah his it's it's joel's instincts but it's also the fact that he is so quick and so mm-hmm. enormous that allows him to make up for the fact when his instincts are are wrong um, yeah, I agree on uh, Embiid. He seemed pretty comfortable taking threes, which he Love always that. has. Um, the uh, the Ben uh, so like there there were two moments that I, I I did like the interplay between Milton and Simmons. Like I love the Simmons at the elbow. Stuff. Absolutely, uh, I thought that was good. And I also thought um, there was a nice sort of like. Embiid's not going to be a pick-and-roll guy. People talk about using him in pick-and-roll all the time. He's not a roller. He doesn't like doing it. He's rarely going to do it. He doesn't but like was, doing it. He, but, but like that, he can be a pick-and-pop guy. He's a good 17-foot jumper guy. And there was a really nice pick-and-pop with him and Milton yeah. that I liked. And him shooting a 16-footer, like when people talk about long twos, they're talking about 19 and 20 footers. See, I'm okay with him taking 16 footers. He's a good shooter. And I think um, I'm, I'm good with that. Like, I think that's an effective play for them to run. Yeah, it's just got to be right. I, I would prefer he take more threes. Mm-hmm. Um, I would prefer, prefer he try to get to the rim. But you use, sometimes have to use that mid-range, especially in the playoffs. You use their mid-range to set up the, like, pump fake and drive and, yep. like, get fouled type thing. Yeah. Um, 
supposedly he's worked on, you know, the, the, the word going into the bubble was that he worked on his, his post footwork a lot. Uh, and we didn't really see it that much, I would say. Um, Valanciunas always has been a little bit difficult for him for some reason. Um, yeah. Valanciunas is one of those guys. It's the the big sort of like, um, like the, there's almost a type. Yeah. That you know. Because he because yeah. Embiid Embiid like, I pretty much destroys Bam. Like at least to to my eye, I'd have to look at the numbers to be sure. But in my in my mind, Bam's just not big enough to handle Embiid. And but like a guy like Valanciunas or Gasol, or I mean, I guess Horford was an exception. He's not that big, which just long enough to do it. But like. But he's sturdy. Yeah. Al is sturdy. Doesn't move. Yeah. You know? Seems like um, he moves a lot more now. I don't know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, Shake, you mentioned. I mean, oh, also the the Ben alley to Tobias. No look. 35. Oh. It was unbelievable. Just that's rid- a ridiculous. A ridiculous so thing. after that play, quick question. Um, so I was watching it at work, and I was sort of like half distracted when it happened. Uh. But when he, I guess I should, I was obviously watching at work. I, I work at a sports radio station. I'm allowed to watch it. Um, I, I'm like, why am I trying to cover up the fact that I was watching it at work? Um, I was I working at WIP. We're all watching it. The, uh, so he, he threw it and then he started yelling at somebody. Was he complaining to a ref or was he sort of like talking shit after it happened? Do you remember that? Did My read it? on that was that he was, he turned around at the Sixers bench and Okay. And it's like saying something, but it, I guess it could be complaining to a ref. I thought it was more of like a taunting, a playful taunting situation. Yeah, I, I couldn't tell because he went out of the uh, the frame yeah, pretty yeah. quickly. Um, as well, no, I I think the you know just to check in on the on the Napa wine situation mm-hmm. um, seems positive. There was the like bench doing some standing up, sitting down mm-hmm. goofiness with uh, with Shayak's free throws. Yeah, um, the bench was having fun with uh, Kylo Quinn almost dunking. In transition, yeah, um, the, the Norvell Pell three, the Norvell Pell step back three, which was ridiculous. Norvell played really well. Yeah, he, he rolled really nicely and had a few nice blocks. And I thought like played way more under control and like he knew what he was doing than we saw him earlier this season. So, um, who knows? Obviously, he will be called upon if uh, if Al or Joel gets gets hurt. God forbid. So um, it was nice to see that. Um, but it's you know. We talked to Daryl a little bit about it, but like this, it's it's cool that these guys who we've wanting to we've been wanting to just like gel and connect and bond and stuff. And obviously, it mostly starts from the top as far as Ben and Joe go. But we've been wanting these guys, and I would add Tobias to that. We've been wanting these guys to just feel like there's some chemistry, feels like there's some like shared. Yeah. Uh, it's forced now. They goal, have to yeah, but this yeah. idea like. You know, they have the same goals. They're only around each other. They're, like, playing for each other a little bit. And I know it's corny and sounds a little bit remember the titans but, like, they're as as uh, unimportant as their mission is. Like, this is the mission. They're there. Mm-hmm. They're kind of sacrificing their lives. We're putting their lives on the line a little, as weird as it is to say, um, to go do this thing. And... Uh, and they're now like playing for and with each other, um, and I, I, all the golf, golfing and fishing and Matisse's uh, vlogs. Hopefully, it all just kind of adds up to being there's a better sense of chemistry and consistency of this team, and they and they will communicate and, and work out work for each other more. Ferk looked pretty good. Um, 
he uh, he hasn't had a haircut, which I enjoy. <laughs> I love like you know I, I mentioned at one point. Do you see the jeans? The jeans. The, yes, the, the oh, video. I yeah. love it. He so <laughs> one time I mentioned that Ferk sort of reminds me. I forget what the actor's name is, but the guy that played Michael Rappaport's roommate in Higher Learning. Um, I forget the guy, but he reminds me of him. Like Ferk looks like like a Jewish kid from high school and like that, that I would know from Episcopal and like seeing his hair all like curly and big, like just sort of adds to that. Really funny. Um, yeah. There's, there's something, something about, and I hope this isn't offensive, but there's something so delightful to me. And there was with Dario of just like guys who don't really speak the language, but are like still hang and yes, like say yeah. it just, and they're so likable. It's really just they're What a, what a treat that they, they both of those guys are. And, uh, yeah, I love those guys. Tobias ringing the bell. Tobias had a nice game and then rang the bell and it was Korkmaz's birthday. So he said, this is for Ferk. I thought that was, that was pretty nice. And I, uh, definitely also shouts for, to, to Tobias for, um, you know, talking about Brianna Taylor, every, every post game interview at Mike Scott did as well. Um, it's gotta be so weird for these guys to, to determine like we're having fun, but we're also like here to make a point and use a platform and. It's 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 a it's a lot it's a lot of responsibility, but you know, I just, I believe they can do both. Yeah, like, for I, sure. I, I just yeah. sal- I just salute them for doing it and, and putting the work. And obviously, LeBron and a bunch of bunch of guys are talking about it. But um, man, how much how much pressure do you need to arrest people for murder? <laughs> for real, just very obvious. Um, and they're still still not happening. So that's just the way it goes in Kentucky. Um, back to the Sixers, I. Matisse played, Matisse got there and immediately got his hands on, in a passing lane, which I loved. Um, what a beautiful thing. But he didn't shoot well. But he did, tell me if you agree, attacked off the dribble a lot, closed out a lot, and, and look, looked way more comfortable doing it than he had earlier in the season. Obviously, the two-handed dunk over Jaron Jackson was excellent. But a couple other times, he was like driving to, to pass and just to keep, keep the thing moving. And I, I, I really liked what I saw there. I kind of wish he would, I agree. So what the dunk made me think of, even though with his hair as big as it is and this, his body tiny, he does look like NBA Jam, big head mode to me when he dunks like that, is he is more explosive sometime, offensively than he plays physically. And like sometimes I just wish he would KJ-esque like one dribble <laughs> and, and go. KJ McDaniels? Yeah. Well, half, no, half a season of KJ McDaniels. No, no, no. He just reminds me, like, physically. when he, he just, like, I think he is more athletic than he plays sometimes. And I think mm-hmm. uh, that dunk, if you go and you watch that dunk, he gets very high very quickly and finishes over somebody. Yeah, over and a really good shot blocker. Right. Like, and I think that there is a possibility that if he can get the one or two dribbles down, that, like, his explosiveness... He's not gonna have to. He's not gonna have to like cross somebody up. He's just gonna need to be able to like get the ball, take two dribbles, and explode. Yeah. And I I think he could like be a guy that gets to the line actually, and w- with that explosiveness, because I think people are gonna foul him. I do agree. He looks. He always looks comfortable shooting, whether it goes in or not. Like he he uh, he needs to be. He need. They need to go in. Um, he's gonna be. It's gonna be really interesting to see how the rotation shakes out. Yeah. I still think we're going to see probably more Glenn Robinson than we would all expect or he, vote on. I thought over. he was I thought he was fine. 
I thought yeah, he was yeah, totally he fine. is. He's a fine player, but mm-hmm. I, I, I just get the sense that Brett will. Brett has always had a short leash with guys like Matisse in yeah. his age in important situations. Right, so. but now, but to I think Matisse with his defensive instincts and awareness and and ability to like change a game. I think Brett is more willing to do that than he would be if the if it was has that on offense, right? Yeah. If he was totally lost on offense or on defense and mm-hmm. was able to like get you a couple buckets on offense, I think uh, Brett would have that quick hook. But I think defensively, he's fine just being like, really, there's no you know Matisse offensively, go stand in the corner, cat shoot it when the ball is coming when when you have an open shot. Like that's pretty much that's pretty much what you got to do. And he and he cuts nicely and stuff. I thought Glenn Robinson was pretty good. I thought that Alec Burks actually had had some serviceable moments. Um, I think that like especially with Ben now primarily playing the four, even though he's going to bring the ball up and even though he's going to do it in transition, like for sure, of course, he's, he's a hybrid of everything. Um, especially when Shake is not on the court. Right. When Shake is not on the court, I think, I think Brett is really entertaining the idea that Burks could handle the load alongside Josh Richardson. I think, I don't think he trusts either of them to do it consistently. And I think Neto's also in the, in the picture there because supposedly had a really good camp. Um, but I think, I, I don't think, I think the Josh Richardson point guard experiment, even in any capacity, is over. Um, yeah. And, uh, and so I think the rest of the scrimmages and, and probably into the you know, eight-game season, you're going to see some, some Burks, some Neto, like with those guys. You, have, like, you need ball handlers in the playoffs. You need guys that can like, cre- create a little bit or at least attack a little bit. And so having a couple of those guys... Uh, even though Neto did play pretty bad uh, on the court at the same time, gives you a little bit more versatility when when it's you know if Embiid's not on there or if, or if Ben's not on there. You mentioned Richardson. This is a like sort of an out of place thought, but it, I, I thought about it watching him. Is that he he is the guy like he is a good trade piece in that I think he is a good player. I do not think he's worth more than he's making. No, and he's going to get paid more than he's making, and he's not. He is like exact like he is a 12 million dollar player yeah he's like a 10 to 12 million dollar player and i and think that might need... be what he gets a real well it's, he, who knows what what's gonna happen right with he's had a pretty anyway. middling year um i think I, he's you, i think he's good in the locker room and i think he works on defense mm-hmm. um and the shot the shot is okay um, he can shoot a little off the dribble. He can he can make a, a few things happen, but he's not an intuitive passer. Um, he's not as good of a passer as Shake is, um, and even Shake is still you know learning and growing. I think I Shake with like brief aside. Shake has I love Shake Gilgis Alexander, and I always have. Um, Shake has a little bit of that like level of like not quick burner speed, but just like control and length mm-hmm. and stuff. Shake's yeah. not the passer that Shay is. Um, but he's certainly capable. Um, Josh just doesn't have any of that, really. But he is a dog on defense, and I think he—I think he's a winning type of player that will go somewhere. I, I don't think it's here. I think—I think he's gone this offseason. I think you're right. Yeah, I—I I like him. I, I want to be clear. I like him. But it was one of the things I said early on is the thing about him, like 
what we expected him as like an offensive player yeah. is that when you're the primary offensive player and you're only averaging 16.7 points a game or whatever he was in Miami, that's a sign. Like when you have the ball as much as you want and that's all that you're scoring and you're averaging four assists or whatever the fuck he is. Like, I don't know. It's just when you, when you have that opportunity and that's really what you eke out, I just think it says something about what you are what your limitations are offensively. Yeah, he's just he's just limited. I think he's just yeah. a I think he's a kind of jack of all trades, master of none guy that is like helpful to yep. any team. But mm-hmm. the Sixers having so many guys that just aren't quick shooters right away, they need a guy there that will be. And Shake, you can yep. see, has improved that so much and just and just being willing to go if they go behind a screen on him, he's gonna he's gonna rise up. And so I would love, if, like right now, you would trade Josh Richardson for Seth Curry, right? Yeah, so Seth Curry is one of those guys that like I feel like I would like to watch seven games of him in full before I say yes. I sure. would trade him for the idea of Seth Curry. Sure, yeah. yeah. This idea of like a guy that could at least run the offense a little bit, um, mm-hmm. be the focal point for a time, you know, play a little two-man game with Embiid, um, and then, you know, when it's a defensive possession time, the Sixers have enough guys that can step in and play and play defense so you don't count on that kind of player to... What's the Dinwiddie trade, yeah. too? I, I, would, mean, I mean, yeah. I would love, you know, yeah. I'd love the Dinwiddie trade for sure. I mean, honestly, yeah. Dinwiddie's excellent. Him and Shake now have a lot of similar overlapping skills and stuff, but... but I, I think they could play together. Yeah, I, I, love, I love watching Shake play in the pick and roll. He's just, his confidence has grown so much. Like, do you remember Summer League? This past he summer was league, terrible. which was forever, he was he just couldn't hit anything, and I, he it was, was just terrible. and he wouldn't yeah. even come out because I was there be, pretending to be a reporter, and I, he wouldn't even come out afterwards to like talk to media. He was like so devastated, and so this Dude, I, this idea. I remember that, I said Shayok would get more meaningful minutes than Shake yeah. during the season after summer, league. and here we are, and he's starting. It's yeah. it's unbelievable yeah. how much he, confidence grown. Um, sometimes it just locks in of just understanding NBA speed and stuff, and. He's a really, really legitimate shooter um, from all over the court, and he's gotten better at finishing inside to where he's using his length. Like I think at times, like he's not the most athletic guy. He's definitely not the strongest guy, mm-hmm. but his his length and his just shiftiness is that so he can get where he wants to get on the court. And and like you see this, the way that people respect the jumper now opens up every other aspect of his game. And I yep. think I think he's just I think he's so legit. I, I really really love the guy. I'd really if if there's one physical thing I I would like I would like him to get a little bit stronger. Yeah. Like I think when you look at guys like this is well you compared him to McGrady so I might as well say <laughs> fucking Harden. But like when you look at guys like Harden or and why can I never remember his name in Orlando uh, that you shouldn't Google his name with the bad hair. Oh, Evan um, Fournier. Fournier. When you look at guys like that, the guys that are shifty, they have to physically be able to put somebody like on their back shoulder and sort of like keep them away. And that's a strength. It's a it's a positioning thing, but it's also about being like strong Mm -hmm. and having the the physical ability to do it. And you can tell that he has the positioningness and the the shiftiness. He just needs to be a little bit stronger. And I think that would be important. Right. Well, Tobias has that, right? Tobias is never going to like create for other people. He's never going to do anything like exquisite with the ball in his hands, but he's going to use, he's going to use his like a, a light, but you know, not a push off, but a, a very like firm shoulder that can give him enough space to rise up and shoot over you from wherever. Um, and so you just need a little bit of that with shake. Shake's been using like these, like these pretty hefty step backs 
to and just mm-hmm. like change the pace to like be able to create space for himself. But it'd be nice if he can, you know, because he is tall and guys, you know, Dame Lillard or whatever is going to cover him at times. It'd be nice if you could be like, well, I'm all, I'm not only bigger than you, but I, I'm also strong enough to be able to get where I want to get. Um, before we get to Daryl Morey, do you want to do you want to do Carl Landry Record Club, or you want to hold it for next week? Let's hold. I also okay. just wanted to say, uh, do you notice the Sixers? And maybe it's like the the I, I think the um, in, in some sense the defense, you know, it's 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 rusty, and their communication looks better, obviously, than it had in many points in the season. Um, but they still give up way too many wide open threes off of one pass. And I don't know how it happens. Like, why is a guy cheating off of one, off of his assignment so far that just simply one pass from kind of wherever allows an open three? It's very confusing to me, and I wonder if it's just a, like, when do we double, un, like, lack of clarity there? But You know, you know what, that stop. should be a, should, should, Mike O'Connor, I'm sure you're listening to this. I mean, I guess I could email you. You're part of our staff. By the way, one thing to... So the podcast is on YouTube now. You can see, like, you can watch everything. I recommend watching the part with Maury when we tell him that there are seven people that are part of our <laughs> organization. Like, we're talking about Sixers Adam, and we say, like, yeah, he works for us. He's like, ha, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> um, but uh, Michael Connor, I think that would be a good question for MOC because he likes, uh, he's a big Brett questioner. And I think that might be a, a scheme question that he could come up with. But yes, I noticed as well. Well, there you go. Yeah. Uh, this was great. I loved I loved watching them win. Um, that was really delightful. I, I really enjoyed this Daryl Moore interview, and I'm going to go watch some WNBA basketball. Uh, before we do, oh yeah, today's opening day for mm-hmm. WNBA, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, before we do, let's talk about our sponsor, a Big Barker Therapeutic Dog Beds. Um, we, you know, we made mention about Trotter at the top of the pod who, uh, who passed away, who is a process pup. I want to make a note to anyone who's already purchased, uh, a, a big Barker therapeutic dog bed. There's big news coming from big Barker, uh, soon, and uh, they could use your help. If you've previously purchased a big Barker and you have noticed a, an increase in like sort of mobility and comfort from your dog because of that, because it is engineered by experts. Um, send a note to Eric at Big Barker. What's comfort look like? Well, I think you Have you noticed your dog's more comfortable? Like he's walking around with like a little, like sort of cool, uh, a cool gait. I I think, so my dog, my cat, uh, I had a, she's doing okay. My cat, Alabama is 15 years old, ended up in the ER for fucking three days this week. Jesus. Yeah, she's gonna be okay, thankfully. But I noticed when you when 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 pets start getting older, I think you notice like their creaks and their like, you know, like how they they get around, how they get around, how they get up onto when they jump onto the couch or jump up onto the bed or those sorts of things. And I think that's how you notice like how spry they are and that sort of thing. So if you've noticed an improvement uh, in your dogs uh, or your cats. Um, a movement with a big barker send a note to eric bigbarker.com eric at bigbarker.com uh bigbarker.com slash ricky bigbarker.com slash ricky is where you get the big barker dog bed with the process pup patches that's how you get your i'm rebuilding the gallery on rights to rickysanchez.com because i don't like the way it works right now but if you uh get your dog that big barker and take a picture of your dog on the big barker send it to us at rights to rickysanchez at gmail.com and we will put the um uh, what's it called? We'll put the photo up on the gallery, the Process Pup Gallery on RiceRickySanchez.com. These are uh, all of the dogs. Um, 
you know, I think it is meaningful that we hear years afterwards um, from people who have bought uh, big barkers from uh, through from hearing about them on the podcast and how happy people are with the bed um, and how quickly um, dogs um, acclaim acclaim is the word to the bed how how quickly they adjust to the bed mm. whatever most most beds are shit they are um, they're very thin they they provide no support at all big barker dog beds are the opposite although it is called big barker they have them every size even for your your tiny little dog. Uh, that's the Barker Jr. And, um, and like, this is, you know, dogs have plenty of joints, and they need to be supported so many. just like ours do. So many joints. <laughs> I notice when I sleep on a bad mattress that I feel worse in the morning. Your dog is no different. So 10-year warranty with the big Barker dog bed. The foam doesn't flatten or they replace it for free. A one-year at-home trial. If you don't love it, they will pay for the shipping and give you a full refund. And it is made right here in the Delaware Valley, handmade in the uh, US of A. Big Barker dog bed. And now our interview with one Daryl Morey. Yeah, well, I, th- I thought I would. Uh, I thought I would, you know, show some respect with you. Uh, I've never worn a Sixers hat on the pod, so. Oh, whoa. Yeah, you know, I don't That's wear the team gear. He likes yeah. to make his little statements. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's your quiet protest. You spend thousands of hours doing podcasts, but by not wearing their gear, you can send your protest to moves you don't like? Or Yeah, yeah. I, I, I remember the first time I did it was it was a fan appreciation night. It was, the fi- it was after they let go of Sam, and uh, it was the final game of the year, and I had like $150 left in credit for the building that I could spend anywhere. And I went to the team store and bought a bunch of flyer shit. And I was like, this is my... <laughs> there you go. Hey, man. It's like like protesting in the streets, man. Those yeah. statements. You, know? <laughs> uh, you, ready? you ready to go? Yeah, sure. Whatever. Uh, just so you know, he is Spike. I am Mike. Just yeah. Gotcha. To differentiate. There we I'm go. familiar. I've listened to you guys. So. Oh, All right, wow. cool. Well, there he is. Uh, General Manager of the Houston Rockets, Daryl Morey. You know, we were recording the intro to this, and I said, for some reason, it's been a long time coming, and it really hasn't in that you are not a a Sixers <laughs> and have not worked for the Sixers, but for some reason, obviously, the Sam connection, it feels like you are part of our whole community in some way. So, I, I feel that way, too, because Sam, Sam's obviously a good friend to this day, and uh, he's gone on to do better things in the world, and I'm still, I'm still slogging away in basketball, so... Yeah, I was Sam, wondering about Sam that. Sam was always meant for more, though. He was always meant for more, I think. Okay, so you always felt that. Because were you surprised at all that once he you know, left the Sixers, it hasn't been a return to basketball in some way? I thought he'd come back. And I, I think, I mean, he sort of went through a journey to figure out what he wanted to do. And you could ask him about that. Mm-hmm. But um, Shaving his head is one thing. Yeah, it grew like a huge beard. Yeah, <laughs> it, was pretty, yeah. it was like the David Letterman beard. It was pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah I, I, you know, obviously the the letter is one of these iconic things now that uh, I knew Sam could write because he he wrote me a letter when he left the Rockets, which uh, which honestly should go like straight to the Smithsonian. So it's one of those <laughs> those letters. He loves he loves, but but I do think. You know, the, yeah, it probably didn't help him with finding future employment just because, <laughs> you know, most, most owners don't like like 10 pages on 
the exit, you know. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Nice quiet. You know, we mutually parted. We yeah. all chose. We all <laughs> chose together. So. Well, we should get the uh, start with the Sam stuff so we can get that sort of out of the way. I, I guess my my uh, my biggest question for you is: so you work, you hire him, and you work with him, and I, you know, I, here's the thing: I didn't hire him. Oh, really? I didn't know yes. that. So yeah, now the little known part of the story. So basically, Leslie Alexander, who was the owner at the time, mm-hmm. um, he 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 was like moving in this direction. You know, he came from Wall Street, very smart guy, and was like looking for people who could move things in this direction. Sam was younger than me, hadn't worked like I had with the Celtics, so I don't think. He thought Sam was quite ready, even though he probably was, to be frank. Um, and I I came in, I think, about a year after he was hired. But, you know, the owner of the of the Rockets, you know, was sort of building out, um, building out this capability. And, uh, you know, and Sam and I, and Sam could have handled it, been very mad I was hired. But I think mostly he was just looking for friends because the first year was tough. You know, not a lot of support within the organization when he first came in. So I, I didn't know that. I don't think any of us, like I did, that, that is actually, because he is seen, at least with us, and I think as many people, as sort of a, uh, a student of yours or came up under you or, and worked with you. So you, work, you guys work together and you work very closely with him and he takes the Sixers job. I'm wondering what it, it feels like to be close to him, but watch from afar the sort of deity, uh, Ising and the the, the deodizing and the demonizing of him and becoming such a uh, a large polarizing f- figure. What's that look like, look like to you from afar? I mean, I was happy because he was just really doing what you know we try to do in Houston, which is like, what's the best path to winning the title? And when I came to Houston, there was Yao Ming, there was Tracy McGrady, there was this infrastructure. They really just needed good role players. And I think in 09, we really hit our zenith and I, we had a good chance to win after bringing in guys like Lowry and Landry and, you know, Aaron Brooks. And I mean, I could go um, run our test and Shane Battier. And so we sort of built the round, and that was the right move with Houston. When he went to Philly, I knew that he was going to look at it and say the right move is to take two or three steps back and then and then build up because, you know, in this business, as you know, you've heard Sam talk a thousand times, you need these elite players to win. And there really wasn't any uh, when he first took over the Sixers. So so when you're, I mean, you're watching him decide maybe Spencer Hawes and Evan Turner are not the guys to build a championship team around and getting like pretty publicly wrecked for it. Like, does it feel weird to you know, as a guy that you worked with and as a friend to not be like, hey, man, he's right, though. <laughs> like, chill. Yeah, so it, it, it's interesting. The, the job is very hard, and unfortunately, you might have to take, you might have to do things in different phases. And I think that's why I felt like Sam was meant for greater things because he just wanted to build a great team, maybe one of the all-time great teams. And unfortunately, this job is like bigger than that in a bunch of ways, in some ways that it shouldn't be, where 
Um, sometimes the best thing for the team is just surviving into the future such that you can continue to make moves. <laughs> so, um, you know, Billy Bean's a good friend and he, he, he said that he said that once that, uh, unfortunately in this job, you have to, uh, you have to send out the gladiators every once in a while to distract the crowd. Like it has to be fun. It has to be fun throughout. You have to curry favors where you not, might not necessarily want to do it with, media and things like that. And, and I think, you know, Sam understood that, but he also was like, I'm going to like, just focus on making this a great team. And I think that's what made everyone so excited, including myself, that he was able to do this sort of peer play. But uh, I think the barbarians at the gate eventually got him. Unfortunately, <laughs> that was uh, like, he, he needed to, he needed to throw a Coliseum out there to distract him while he was trying to build the team, unfortunately, <laughs> was my, my sense. It, it is interesting you brought up Billy Bean and that you and the, like the critics, obviously, of you and somebody like Billy Bean and somebody like Sam is that it's a very like uh, um, uh, this or that thing in that they will look at you and say that it's almost as if you don't watch basketball or don't care about basketball and Billy Bean doesn't care about baseball. You only care about what is on the spreadsheet. I would imagine that characterization of how you guys look at the game is frustrating at times. Yeah, I think obviously when people are trying to knock someone down or be critics, the one of the easiest strategies, well, there's two really. One is ad hominem, which is like, you know, the Charles Barkley, you know, couldn't get the girl stuff, which unfortunately lands. I mean, <laughs> the Charles, the Charles like rant, and I actually really love Charles. I think to me, his job is to be an entertainer and he's one of the all time greats. And when he had his rant sort of anti analytics, anti me, I thought it was so funny. I really, <laughs> I thought, and, and he kept like nailing me for not having girls in high school. And, uh, you know, I was, I was like, man, the truth hurts at times, you know, it's tough. So, but those don't, those things don't have to be related. <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. But, but, um, but yeah, no, it, it was, it's, it's interesting. What was your original question again? I, I guess, I guess just that the characterization that like that yeah. basketball and, and basketball and observation and what you see is not at all part of the equation. And that yeah, you right. So the two it. lines of attack are ad hominem, which is just like, you know, you know, he doesn't, he didn't play basketball, whatever he's, but then the other line of attack is to set up straw mans. And so, yeah, if you say, if you're Charles Barkley or someone and say, look, it's all about the stats. And to him, the stats are like what he saw in a box score when he was playing in the 80s. And if you say that's what it's about and you're running your team based on that, yeah, if I if that is what you think someone's doing, I would criticize the hell out of that too because that's really stupid. Um, so they set up straw mans. They say like, oh, it's just a spreadsheet. It's just using stats. But really, all it is is our, my job's no different than Red Auerbach in 1950 when he was running the Celtics, which is make great decisions all the time on draft, on trade, on free agency. And using data helps that. Uh, and using better data, more data, better analysis helps make those decisions. But at the end of the day, they're all human decisions. No one, no spreadsheets making any trade. You know, you could set up like some sort of automated bot that could send out emails or something, maybe. But if they're all human decisions. We're just trying to do them better. That sounds more like a hanky thing. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, I'm yeah. gonna, I'm gonna 
streamline email by having automated bot respond to all of mine. Yeah. Well, another just random thing people don't understand is like the way you make transactions with the league is still just emails. Like in theory, if someone could spoof my email, they could just send an email to the league that says wave James Harden. <laughs> and technically that would I would hope the league <laughs> office would check. Right. I guess they want to wave them. Yeah, in the last CBA, they made this agreement to, like, set up this new system that's secure. But they, you know, we've got bigger issues right now, so they haven't done it. So, yeah, it, it, anyone can just wave any player if they can just spoof <laughs> the, the email of a GM somewhere. We've been spending all this time trying to, like, talk publicly about what the Sixers should do. And we should just <laughs> have spent that time <laughs> faking an email and just doing it ourselves. You could have just done it. Yeah. It's exactly. so much easier. <laughs> Ned Cohen will be so mad if, yeah. if this is out there now. So. I was wondering, I think Spike also had this question, but uh, you commented when uh, us and a bunch of other folks we at the lottery party, we raised the, the hinky banner, which was oh one God. of the all-time dumbest things. No, uh, it was so good. That was <laughs> unbelievable. <laughs> what, what, what was it like watching that? And... Uh, how does it feel to not have your own banner at this point, despite having a way longer tenure and yeah, more successful one than Sam? I'm thrilled to have no banner, but I was so happy Sam had one because I, I just gave him endless crap about it because <laughs> yeah. he he definitely hated it. But like it was that no, was the best. Like we we would I'd send him that gif of the banner going up like every few <laughs> days just to harass him. So that, that was great. And that's at a bar or something. I, I never. Yeah. I haven't yeah. been to the bar. I need to go to the bar. So. Yeah, we, we did an event at a place called Xfinity Live for the lottery every, every year called the Lottery Party. And um, at that point, we were it was like 3,000 people. We would go. So it was right after. Was it the year after? I think it was the year after Sam uh, was gone. We, we decided to raise the no, banner. I, I, yeah, wasn't it the next month? No, I, I, no I think we were it was still, the next year. still too sore from, the, from all yeah. the bruising. My, my only insight into... Philly fans, and by the way, some of the best fans in the world, is my wife who grew up in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. And when Sam got the job, <laughs> she told Sam, she's like, dude, you are in trouble. Like, they are crazy. <laughs> like, I'm not sure you're going to make it more than a few years. And she was completely right. Nailed it. <laughs> not, for the, not for the reasons maybe she thought. Because I think the yeah. fans were pretty behind him it seemed like i don't know that was my yeah, sense so. it, it it grew as uh there, there were really just like three camps there were people that were like way behind it like us there were the people who were absolutely hated it and i think we only made up both those camps probably made up 40 percent, whereas the other 60 percent just sort of checked out because the sixers stunk which is 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 the unspoken group of people who were just sort of waiting for them to be good when when sam left i thought Jeff Van Gundy had a really good take because he loves Sam and he, we worked with Jeff for one year and you know, he, he's, he's got the take that like the whole rebuilding thing is a big scam, which I'm sure some of your, which is like, you know, I'm, we're going to be good in like six years, you know, just, (laughs) (laughs) just as a way to, uh, you know, and he, and he's a very smart guy. So like in some ways, some of those criticisms can land, right. Especially if you don't do good things while you're, while you're building, but but he was basically like, you know, they trick coaches all the time. They're like, hey, come on in, be the coach, we're rebuilding, and then someday <laughs> we'll be good. And he was like, he was like, it finally happened to a GM. The GM was like, 
they come in, do the rebuild, and then bring in someone else over the top. So, yeah. Um, anyway, sorry, I've hijacked your podcast. No, that's that's the that's what we just we just had Chuck Klosterman on this past weekend. If and if anybody, it was two hours of him hijacking the podcast. It was great. So don't worry. Two hours. He, he's yeah. very good. He's yeah. very good. Yeah. Uh, the uh, the it's funny. So uh, when the the bubble concept comes up. The most interesting thing that we can think about is sending like our reporter guy to the bubble to say what it's like. And all the reports from the bubble seemed like the most uninteresting thing in the world. Yeah, super I, hard. <laughs> I guess from inside of it, like, is there is there anything that's interesting or is it just really a bunch of people in hotels and like like almost like summer league without Vegas, it seems like. Yeah, I mean we're we're joking that it's like I was joking with one of our players and where should I go? Oh, should I go to my room or go to this team room <laughs> or walk around the yard? <laughs> you know, like we get our yard time. That's and right. Our rooms. Um, no, the league's done tremendous. I mean, honestly, like unbelievable job. But and we're all here for a reason, which is we love basketball and at least for the Rockets, which, you know, we're I think we have a good shot to win it. Um, but it's not like anyone would choose to spend three months in this situation unless we were here for, I think, obviously our jobs and a great reason. So. We take a break from our conversation with Daryl Morey. Daryl, hang on a second. Sit right there. The yeah, I know you have limited time, but we got to talk about our sponsor, Touchstone Electric Fireplaces. Tell PJ Tucker he can wait. Yes, tell PJ Tucker, look, I think uh, a Touchstone Electric Fireplace would look great in uh in pj tucker's home yeah. wherever it is why don't you read this ad to pj tucker yeah why don't you why don't you take notes daryl um zero deadbirds.com zero deadbirds.com is where you go to get your touchstone electric fireplace from touchstone home products located right here in exton pa they the, the reason it's zero deadbirds.com that wasn't their website until i decided that it was something they should talk about having a real fireplace is a pain in the ass Chimneys, dead birds in the chimney, ash on your, like you have to clean up from it. The smell, do you want your couch smelling like peaty scotch? No, of course you don't want your couch to smell like a campfire. That's why the Touchstone Electric Fireplace is, is better. It's more efficient, there's no cleanup, there's no dead birds in the chimney. Uh, it fits right there in your wall. You turn it off, you turn it on. By the way, you don't have to worry about poking the flame with your with the poker or whatever. You don't have to worry about buying wood. It looks great every time. No smell, no mess. Five flame intensities on the Touchstone Electric Fireplace. From a low-key ember-style flame uh, to a high flame setting for very intense. Very easy DIY uh, installation. You can do it. Um, they will give you the instructions for that as well. Um, I want I want you to get this fireplace. I want you uh -huh. to install it on keep it leave it on very high during Sixers games so you can just sweat out the toxins. Done. Actually, I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna call Frank this week at Touchstone. I'm gonna put, I have room right under my television. I'm gonna put it right under my television. Another decision I've made for my wife that she did not ask about or was consulted but i'm making the decision right now there and you go here's the thing you want to put it i've seen in the gallery at zero deadbirds.com there's some people that have them underneath their tv you can do that um depending on the where you want to put it they have all sorts of sizes 36 inches wide to 100 inches wide go just go to the site go to zero deadbirds.com uh use promo code ttp you can see the gallery and where they are or if you're watching on youtube you've seen them here um 
use promo code TTP for 15% off, and they'll get you the fucking, they'll get it to you quick. They're working right there in the, uh, in the warehouse, delivery in two to three days max. Um, and if you have any questions at all, they have chat on the site, they have email, they have the phone, they're ready to take care of you. Touchstone Electric Fireplaces, zerodeadbirds.com, promo code TTP. Back to Mr. Mori. What's the, like, situation as far as who's hanging out with who from, like, a front office and coaching staff? Is there, like, outside of practice mingling with players? Is there, like, a, hey, I, I mean, I'd hang out if you guys are, like, hanging out and playing pool? <laughs> yeah, no, you, 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 have a, you have a right that I think it's it's been, like, I've had several coaches who are, like, let's go somewhere for training camp, and a lot of teams do this, and let's stay focused as a team and have a lot of interaction, but it never quite works because even when we've done it, there's always distractions. Like we did it in Austin one year. We did it in uh, South Texas one year. And it, there's still distractions. Here there's none. So, yeah, there's a lot of, you know, we had a poker game with my myself and some staff and players. We got this cornhole tournament with, you know, it's a mix of players and 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 staff and players are really bad at cornhole that's one thing we've learned <laughs> turns out these unbelievable best athletes in the world we can we can take them down as long as it's throwing a bean bag into a round <laughs> hole <laughs> so um yeah so it's it's been there's a lot of interaction and it's exactly what coaches have always wanted for like a training camp environment that i've that i've worked with the uh one of the things actually, because the Sixers had such like a, a an enormous home road split, is that we've been thinking about these games and whether whether they're more like home games or road games. Would you say that the games would be more similar to a road game or more similar to a home game? More similar to a road game, yeah, because because mm. you're in a hotel room. Tough, not... tough answer. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> for us. Yeah, yeah. You were thinking of that question all day, right? Yeah. <laughs> we're just going to keep asking people until one of us gives them the answer that we want. Oh, <laughs> you want it to be a home game? Interesting. Yeah, well, I it. mean, yeah, I, I suppose um, that the if the, your team is 28-2 and two at home and, like, has one of the worst road records in the oh. league. <laughs> yeah. Well, one think. thing that's good for you, and if you had Sam on, he'd tell you this, like, those home road spits are mostly nonsense. So, like, it's just randomly whether your threes went in and shit like that most of the time do you so. really believe that not for really the sixers yeah i said i did say most i always qualify <laughs> yeah, my yeah. statement so i can wiggle out later. sure it's a good wiggle <laughs> i said most of the time um right. i haven't st- I, i'd have to look at the sixers to tell you if i, I, I think I, I think your wife judgment. i think your wife would tell you that the threat of being booed by philadelphia <laughs> fans actually does make a difference there <laughs> that, that can go both ways like people have this perception that contract years are always this amazing thing for players like their focus but honestly if you look at the data like and we don't really know why you can just speculate that just as many players maybe get nervous or you know lose their confidence in it because they know the pressure of the contract years like but there isn't this really clear contract year effect there's generally never been a consistent home court edge. Utah has had one. Denver's had one for, we think, altitude reasons. Um, but th- there's not, there's really never been like a consistent home road for mm-hmm. most teams. But, you know, who, who, who knows? Who knows? Yeah. I would I, think they'd be afraid of shooting a three at home. Just, yeah, again, for fear of the hordes getting them. Mm-hmm. So. One of the things I've jokingly said often is that 
the the home advantage for Denver teams is is like is too much. The altitude thing is actually unfair. So you, you believe like it's an it definitely is an actual thing, or you don't believe? So? Yeah, I think we. St- this is years ago, so I'd have to go back and look. I know Utah for sure had a consistent edge. Uh, I believe Denver did, but it, we're talking small though. Like most of these edges are. I mean, they matter because it's like a. I want to say like point two or something like yeah. I mean, something really material, but not not really that big of a deal. We if, okay. we tried to. Uh, minimize the Denver impact because you can do things like train at different altitudes, you mm-hmm. know, like the Olympic. But all the studies, unfortunately, say you can't. You like to build up your ability to play at a high altitude takes much too long. So even in a playoff series, um, they would they would have an edge there. Uh, you're in the bubble. What happens if some like random staffer, you're like the last person that you brought there. Or even like the last person you signed, which is Luke Bamute, like gets the entire team infected with this virus. <laughs> what <do you> have? Yeah. <laughs> Again, that was like a perception. I don't see how it's possible. The NBA has done such a good job with the right. protocols. I mean, you're not you're not out of your room until until everything's safe. So, you know, I think there's this theory, and we still need to test it, which is guys are gonna break the rules and sneak girls in and all that and maybe that's coming but i i haven't seen it it's you know the few players that have left and you know they're they're immediately i mean there's cameras everywhere i mean we're you know we're (laughs) there's really you can't really get away with anything so there's there's you know uh, an edge we're always looking for an edge on other teams there's an edge to hiring a spy type person (laughs) <laughs> to infecting other teams with the virus. If that is, if you yeah. really want to win, you could do that. Well, I saw that. Have you seen that Reddit? I love Reddit because you get good ideas. But <laughs> one one bad idea was was having like your 12th, 13th, 14th guy, you know, go grab LeBron and carry him outside. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm imagining uh, the league would frown on this idea. Yeah. Yeah. And probably. might not. <laughs> so it yeah. goes against the friendly nature of uh, yeah. off-court yeah. activities. Yeah, so I, I think, uh, but uh, actually legit, like, we we try to get ideas from our ever Reddit, you know. We have, like, ideas at rocketball.com if you ever want to send one in. And now you can know you can wave a player oh, yeah. on another yeah. team. So, <laughs> so. Uh, so the uh, the way that this happens, is, like, you on this podcast is Twitter, basically, is, like, you know, um, first there was the banner, and then there was the whole thing about Andrew Yang talking about Sam and you tweeting about yeah, it. Yeah, Yang Gang. I was so excited. Yeah. You had Andrew on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and he, like, he knew where he was, by the way. Like, like that, com- that comment about him putting Hinky in was not from a question. It was just at the end. He was <laughs> oh, like, yeah. by the way, I'm going to make a, a promise. <laughs> like, he knew what he was doing. Yeah. I um, love that he was like, I don't really pay attention. Then he he got into like your rights held guys. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He knew like, exactly what he was doing. Aldemir. I thought he was gonna be something. <laughs> but I, I don't really pay attention too much. <laughs> but but I, I really thought he was gonna be somebody. So, so, uh, so do we, so that's a good screen. Yeah. The uh I'm wondering what so it, it was funny. Uh, it's such a, an interesting comparison between uh you and Sam and that Sam didn't want to talk to anyone, didn't want to, like, was not public unless he had to be. And here is you, like, basically, like, you're a pretty online guy in that way. I'm wondering, like, what, 
I, the, I, we get a lot of feedback online, and I find it to be like hard to deal with mentally, like the negative stuff. The positive stuff I love, but even if we get 100 positive feedbacks and one negative, it's really hard to not carry that negative. I'm wondering, what is your makeup that you decide that that is a, a positive thing for you? Yeah, I, I think a couple of things. One is, if you take a step back from just the winning, now winning's the best way to provide an entertaining product. So mm -hmm. clearly that should be 85, 90% of the job. But at the end of the day, if you take a step back, we, we are in the job of entertainment. Like we are here so that people like to tune into the Houston Rockets. And I think part of that is they want to, you know, be behind the people who are the players, the ownership, the, you know, the, our season ticket sales people. Like we're all sort of part of the brand of rockets and so i've always seen it seen it that way i sort of came from a different background i you know i i worked in baseball in the 90s but i i you know i worked in a whole bunch of different industries before i got a chance to work in in basketball uh so anyway i i think it works best when you're authentic to a brand and you're all like hey we're moving in a direction so everyone can get behind so that's always been a focus on the negative folks on twitter i think Honestly, you know, like I said, with Charles picking on me, uh, sometimes correctly, like I think a lot of like um, driven people who are maniacal about something like I am about winning and sports and things like that uh, often didn't have the cleanest childhood in terms of like getting along with other people and things like that. So I've, you know, for better or worse, um, pretty used to getting getting my ass kicked so <laughs> so uh yeah i don't think yeah the twitter the twitter folks uh don't bother me but i've had players though, i don't want to say which player they would like read their phone at halftime and like get one stray comment yep. from someone on twitter and i i'm convinced they would throw them into like a bad mental space so it's it's a real thing. I do think there's a real human phenomenon that if you get a hundred good comments and one bad, that you're still probably giving the bad comment 55% weight and the hundred good 45% weight. And so that leads us really nicely into, uh, Brian Colangelo. I have to ask, uh, when you're watching the, the ringer story break and then, and seeing with the stuff he tweeted and as like, you know, one of the, there's 30 people with your job, 29 other ones. And like, to, it's a very elite job. And this, this idea that a guy would, and other people have done this also in other fields, so it's not like it's the only thing, but like create like secret burner accounts to like clap back at people that don't agree with them. Like, what, do you, what are you thinking as you go through that? Like, do you empathize with that like psychology or is that just like, oh man, what a disaster. <laughs> this is a tough one. I would say I was just very surprised. I didn't know if it was real because, you know, obviously now they've actually got sophisticated tools and maybe they were using them even at the time to like identify these things based on who you follow and mm -hmm. your sentiment rating of like the kinds of things you say. So at first I was like, no, it can't be true. But it was like one of it was like a car wreck. Like you couldn't turn mm -hmm. away. Like it was 
In some ways, for me, it's still it's still crashing. <laughs> I can't have yeah, it stop no, looking. I saw that someone did a someone did a like a more in depth study just recently. Uh, what's that mm -hmm. kid's name? It, it was a good Adam Six or Adam. Adam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he's on our staff. <laughs> oh, he's on. He's on yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're you're. We have a staff of a hundred. Is that? Is that uh, what do we have? Seven. We have seven <laughs> yeah, people. We got seven folks. Really? Yeah. We that's have, pretty we have, sweet. Yeah, we have three that's... writers, an artist, us two, and a guy that writes our newsletter. Yeah. yeah. Dude, that's and, awesome. And that's we just cool. make them write Brian Colangelo burner yeah, retrospectives yeah. <laughs> over and over again. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think Brian's done a lot of amazing things in his career, and you know, whatever. I don't. I don't know enough. It's hard for me to comment on. Yeah. On yeah. That one. For sure. But. Uh, well, I would say the phenomenon, though, and we've had players who've been caught up. Yeah, it's a, it's a strange phenomenon. It, it definitely, yeah, it's people who don't really. I, so I grew up in the online world. I got a, my first computer. This was part of the reason I had a rough childhood. Like, I mean, I had a computer when I was like five years old, and I sort of grew up in the computer era and bulletin boards and Wildcat, BB, you know, everything. And so... I'm used to this world. And so if you come to it later and don't really understand the culture, you know, like even a Reddit, you can make mistakes that mm -hmm. immediately you're labeled as like, you, you know, a noob. And so, yeah, uh, yeah making burner accounts is a really bad idea. Always. Like <laughs> yeah. you're going to be found out. Just text your friends. They, they don't yeah. even influence anything. Like, Nothing. Yeah. Yeah. So it's. It's, it's not like, you know, you make an amazing comment from your burner account and everyone's going to be like, oh, that's the greatest comment ever. I yeah. Think. Oh, hey, I guess his collars are pretty cool. All right. Yeah. He made yeah. a good point. Um, I'll let so, you talk about that. So. Yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm curious. So we all oftentimes here talk about like who has final say and who's in charge. And, you know, there's a lot of talk about like uh, collaboration here and like ownership. Can you can you talk about. When you are in your specific position, not the owner, but in charge of like basketball operations, at what point does the collaboration sort of stop and you have to go, okay, and how do you deliver that message? And when do you know it's time? And then, you know, like, what is that process like for you? I love that question. Like, cause it, like this whole process is really not well understood. And there's a lot of like, memes and thoughts about how decisions are made at teams that mm -hmm. lack you know just a, awareness so first off there's this perception like you want the owner just keep the owner away no no owner bad <laughs> random other dude good like <laughs> that's not so i think owners especially if they're good at asking the right questions good at thinking through things uh, you want the owner involved, and here's why. People in my job can get short-sighted. You know, they can be worried about um, the next two years, the next three years versus the long-term health of the franchise. The only person in the entire organization of a team that has the same incentives as the, as the fans is the owner. So, like, having the owner involved, I do think, is a good thing. I know, you know, with maybe the exception of some franchises where – it's maybe obvious that it's not, but um, so the owner's always involved. A lot of the, like, and at least at the Rockets, and I'm sure this was at the Sixers, we start with the notion we don't have any idea what we're doing. Like, just because I think a player's really good or maybe I've seen him, first off, I usually keep that opinion to myself because 
people can start aligning around like who I think is good if they get a sense of that. Um, so, yeah, we basically are aggregating a bunch of experts to get to a decision. And then I'll get to your question because I know I'm yep. sort of going around it. No, this nice. is what we wanted. Yeah, yeah. In, terms of, in terms of the final decision, though, we sort of call it, I mean, from a basketball analogy, we call it the pull-up pull up and shoot moment like they you know at some point you've got to make a final call usually that's after i'm trying to take in all the data um have a recommendation talk to ownership get there by if it's a trade or free agency you got a little more time because there's not usually a exact moment free agency can be quicker trades are usually a little slower until the deadline uh, the draft, obviously, you have to make a pick. So, like, that's that's nice. Um, and, yeah, there's there's a final, like, generally you just say, here's a recommendation. And sometimes there's no right answer. People, like, perceive, like, there's a good move and there's not a good move. But most, a lot of times with trades, especially, like, you know, <clears throat> we go this way, we're going to get a higher risk player. Um, and maybe that's right, but it could blow up in our face. This one's a little more safe, and we might be able to exit that move if the player doesn't work. Um, which one do we have to go? Not always obvious the right answer. It's not like there's just one path at any given point. So, um, yeah, generally I, I make a recommendation, and then, you know, ownership approves it. That's, that's the final moment. So. The Right Sariki Sanchez podcast is brought to you by the official jeweler of the Right Sariki Sanchez podcast and the process and all of our listeners, the official jeweler of quarantine. That is one, L.L. Pavorsky Jewelers. Um, very happy to see Will uh, Negron. Uh, Will and his brother Eric are longtime Ricky guys. Will, I think, was 185 for LL, number 185. Wow. Will, yeah, Will, Will, and I think he's up to 186. I think LL is up to 186 or 187. But Will uh, successfully proposed to his girlfriend and now has a fiance. Happened during the COVID pandemic, Mike. This is just love that, look, the one thing that this pandemic has not slowed down, two things are this podcast and uh, unsensibly and love sensibly. So, um, if it you might want, have slowed down some love. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. We can't confirm that. It de- yeah, it depends. On, I guess it depends on the love. It depends on the love. Maybe you love yourself and realize that you and your spouse are no longer for each other. Yes. Maybe you have more confidence now. You never know. Look. Look, maybe you found a new love and you want to propose to that person. Look, LL is here for you. The store is open. If you're comfortable going to the store, it is by appointment only. There should be like a divorce ring. Well, who who gets it? I, I don't understand. Any whoever wants the it. Ring if you want to get divorced. Yeah, you guys are like, hey, well, you know, we had a we had a nice time, and now I'm I'm I will wear this ring as a sign of the fact that I'm divorced. I have baggage, um, romantically, and uh, and that we shared something special for a time. Wow, that would really make you attractive to potential new, uh, new <laughs> Just partners. come out and say it. There, you know, there's, you know, you have your Facebook status or whatever that says, like, you know, say divorced or whatever, single. Well, if... Look, Is divorced a Facebook status? I don't actually know. I, do they still have relationship status? In? I think they you do. could. Yeah. I think you could. Um, I actually want to look now. 
Actually, I don't want to accidentally change it, so I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna do that. I'm gonna change mine to divorced. Yeah. Well, if you want a divorced ring, go to LL2. If you want to go in person, the store's open by appointment only. We always recommend an appointment anyway. If you're gonna do an engagement ring, it, it makes sense to reach out to LL first. Just send him a note, Lee at uh, llpavorsky.com, or call 215-627-2252. If you're more comfortable doing it on the phone or video chat or some reason, that is, uh, he can do that as well. Um, and uh, for every pod, LL with donating to Coded by Kids and the Providence Animal Center. So, um, and go get your divorce rings now if you're <laughs> if you're thinking about getting divorced. Give it to your partner. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's the way to divorce. That's how you hand it to them. That's how you that, break the news. Here, I got you this you. ring. Get down on the other knee. Get down the other knee. Any either either gender, whoever can do it. Yeah. Oh man, uh, LL Pavorsky Jewelers. He's the general manager. You'll like this, Daryl, of love. Back to Daryl Morey. You have, uh, you guys have no draft picks in the 2020 draft uh, or whatever, whenever it's going to happen. At the uh, moment. At the moment. Um, <laughs> and you're already lots in the hole. of undrafted draft picks. Right. And so, yeah, that's my question. So you're already in the hole a few picks over the next couple of years also, which is pretty much the opposite of how Sam ran, ran things. Here. Right. Is it because you just well, had to Sam make would be probably more aggressive with having no picks right now you think than we are yeah just so the whole reason you build up all the capital and right. you did the best job i've ever seen i think in building it up is at the time when you have a chance to win it and this is one of the most open years you you go forward and you know there's a prominent player who could have been traded for even on a one-year rental a year ago i could see him just piling all into that yeah um yeah, I mean, again, that that's a big misnomer on Sam. They're like, oh, he only knew how to tear down. He didn't of course. Know how to build. Well, first off, he didn't have a chance. Yeah. Second off, for sure, he would aggressively gone. So Andrew Friedman's a really good friend. He runs the Dodgers now, ran the Rays. And he was the first that you know, I heard him articulate it really well back in 08 when I met with him. You know, you you have to be on a success cycle, which is, you know, when you're down, you got to build up as many build up your store in the armory as much as possible. And then when you're up, you've got to use it all to eke out small advantages to increase your chance to win. And you're going to go through these cycles, but that's fine. That's, that's, that's natural. Um, we've managed to stay good. Uh, that's been sort of an accident of history. One right. is um, I came, the team was already good and we just needed a role players to have a chance then we were about to have a really horrible year. The year we traded for James Harden, we were gonna we were gonna win like twenty five to thirty, like, and we can estimate that pretty well, as you know. So we were gonna have a bad year. Just we happened to trade for James right in that year because we had sent Lowry out um, to create this draft pick that we hoped we could trade, but we didn't know when it was gonna come. It could have been two years later. So um, you know, at the end of the you know, the current era of the team, you know, after we've won two titles this year and next year, um, you know, there's there's probably going to be a lean year. I mean, like, it's almost impossible in the NBA not to go through some downturns. So. Well, because, sorry, the, the second part was that, like, is it also because you, like, there's inherently less of a difference and, and, a, and a wide variance from people's draft boards from, like, you know, maybe they have a similar top 10, but from, like, 15 to 65... 
you could switch that all around. So there's their value in just being like, well, yeah, we could get the 28th pick in the draft, but we could probably get a guy that we want undrafted. Like Daniel That's Hiles. 100% right. Yeah, so the yeah, the draft has got gotten a little more consensus driven. It hasn't actually gotten better, shockingly, but like we haven't the league as a whole hasn't gotten that much better drafting, but the draft boards have come closer together, mm-hmm. at least based on our analysis. And you're right, yeah, you get to like pick 15 and most of those guys 15 to 17 will go by 32 at worst, right? People just have a general, and then when you're down into like your 22, 23, 24 rank guy, yeah, that guy could go anywhere from as early as 35 to 40, but also could go undrafted. You're 100% right. And we've we've had a great history with undrafted guys. Toronto's been crushing it with undrafted guys. Uh, I do think the talent level in college on the tail has gone up. So that's also made like a lot of it's more fit as you get down the talent curve. It's more fit to what role you need, what you're, how you play. You know, we switch a lot. We do a lot of things where certain guys will. So yeah, I do think, um, I do think yeah, you can you can really crush it undrafted right now. So. Speaking of undrafted, we have to. We are very pro Robert Covington. Uh, uh, as are we. Uh, podcast and uh we he was at one of our live shows once we love we we took a road trip to minnesota just to visit him and dario <laughs> once like 400 people we love covington um we'll have to send, uh, a road trip like the 22 hour drive or something no so that? we 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 took a flight it was like okay. 400 450 people and we went to the minnesota 450 people yeah, yeah ask covington about it he'll tell you about it like I, he well, loved I, it. I, yeah i'll yeah. ask rob about it so. yeah so um, I get so he is in your system. He's on Rio Grande, and then uh, Sam gets him. Is it why is he? Did Sam see something in Rob that you didn't, or was it just a matter of he had the opportunity and you didn't? How did you let him get away? Yeah, it's a little both. So I mean, clearly he became so good we shouldn't have cut him. So I, I think you know one of the things that's really important in this job is just to say when you messed up, like and. Obviously, we did a good job, and it even made the letter. I thought, I thought Sam was like, yeah. he was like, he was like the the guy in uh, Da Vinci Code is whipping himself, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I spoke to the media once, and yeah. Rob Covington left, got out of my hands. Yeah. <laughs> it was. Uh, I mean, honestly, it was that was my favorite part of the letter. But everyone else likes that he quoted like 13th century philosophers sure. no one's heard of. I yeah. like that he's self-flagellating over. <laughs> talking to the media one time in his whole career and he misses on Rob Covington. But anyway, so, so, uh, yeah, the real thing with Rob was, look, we were a very, we were a good team when we waived him and, you know, we looked at it and we had a roster crunch and this was a guy that just, we had guys ahead of him just was not going to play. So again, yeah, I messed up. We cut him. I don't know if he flourishes. You never know. Like, I think obviously getting like thousands of minutes of playing time he wouldn't have had with the Rockets really helped him advance to being the unbelievable player he is today. Um, and so, yeah, we were pretty obsessed with reacquiring him for a long time and, and just never could quite get it to a range until this trade deadline. So Yeah, we, we definitely miss him a lot. Um, yeah. One of my favorite moments 
on this podcast ever, I think, was uh, after the um, the Sixers lost in the second round to Boston, uh, Ben's rookie year, and Covington had a really bad series against the Celtics, um, and he was scheduled to be at the lottery party, and we were like, fuck, is he going to get booed? There were like 3,000 people there, and we're like, we can't do, Covington can't get booed at the lottery party. We were like, I was just like begging people to not do it, and then... He comes out and it's like the mo- the loudest applause I've ever heard in my life. Oh, and it was just like hear. it was such, and you could tell on his face that he was like so relieved and so happy about it. It was like it was a beautiful, genuinely beautiful moment. Yeah, and I think he is the only he was the only survivor of the Sam Hinkie fu four year non guaranteed contract. Like like he yeah. like because like TJ TJ like got that a little TJ 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 McConnell also I think had the same deal. Okay. Yeah. It's, so yeah. Robert was the only survivor of the <laughs> four years. Yeah. <laughs> oh, told you we're a pro TJ wow. pod too. Yeah. Um, uh, well, I, I mean, I guess. Did you see last Covington question? But did did you see? You know, when he came to the Sixers, his key value was he was the first person we saw that could shoot in a very long time uh, and <laughs> would shoot and shot from far away. And it was like that seems like, to be a is- common <laughs> issue with your team. Yeah. It yes, really is. Yes. Um, but the defensive development is something that like we had never even considered was possible. Was that something that you saw early on or was that like, did that sort of come out of nowhere? Yeah. I mean, he was on one of the all time great G league teams and you know, his impact on defense was tremendous already. Okay. So, um, no, I mean, there's really, yeah, we should have somehow kept him, but you know, we probably would have lost him in free agency, but yeah, at this point, so, you know, you never know how things are going to go. So, you know, the, the, the Sixers did a tremendous job. I think it was actually after Sam left that they signed him to that deal. It was a really okay. well done. And, yeah, we probably wouldn't have gotten him on that deal. And so now now he's on that deal. It's great for us. So, yeah, you're welcome. Um, yeah. Um, so thank ha- you to whoever signed him. I forget it was, which was. It was Brian. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah we, so stop picking on Brian, man. No, there wow. you go. Come on. He's got a big target on his back. Um, we I, I was wondering, like, we were talking about it a little bit. You, you're you're going to say that you don't know anything, and you're just and you're kind of just guessing a lot of the time. But like, how do you know? How can you talk to a guy pre-draft or pre-free agency if it's somebody like you know a, a more of a reclamation project that didn't work out in the first place, like a Ben McLemore, and talk talk to these people and be like, we think you're going to get better. Like the person, because everybody coming out of college is like good. Um, mm-hmm. as they are, they're shockingly good. People yeah. have no idea. And so, but the idea is like, how are you going to be able to, you know, learn, you know, adjust on the fly to NBA like speed and also schemes and also like just reads quickly. And what do you like determine that? And how do you determine based on like, you know, as a freshman, you know, this guy, I think about Quincy Miller a lot. Cause I thought he was, I really thought he was great at Baylor just as a random guy. And he never got, he just didn't get good enough but versus had a like a pretty a, decent european career yeah yeah, yeah. which i follow of course though uh but as a <laughs> but as like a senior it's like you expect more you know i'm I'm gonna name a guy that you can't talk about but like terrence davis who played it was a four-year guy for for toronto like like versus how do you those are obviously at different points in their careers and how do you just weigh that kind of thing so you're you're right i mean the biggest answer is we it's very difficult like the the draft is provably hard like you can look at the data and you know our best estimate is that we we're explaining like 30 percent of their future performance and it's 70 percent error and we don't we don't know what that error is we're trying to collapse it and understand it better but 
Uh, it's good for us that the draft is pretty variable because we don't have you know high picks generally. In terms of explaining it to them, we generally pick later, so most of these guys, and it's become pretty understood, just like baseball, that you're going to be in the G League for a while. Uh, so we can point to you know all these guys who went to our G League team, like Robert Covington, and now are making tens of millions in the NBA, and we can explain that we have this path for you, and uh, that that's pretty compelling uh, to those players. But in terms of like... I, I wish we had a huge – I'm so jealous of baseball where these huge minor league systems because you can create the systemic edge. And, you know, I, I like to compare in the NBA. Unfortunately, we only get 17 guys we can hold rights to. And, you know, it's more – we have more like elephant babies where it's like the – you know, we only get one baby every like two years that we can really – and uh, in baseball, they're just like frog babies, like where they, they have like thousands of eggs. And they – like I would love to have just frog babies – versus elephant babies where our minor league system could create a systemic edge. And we try to do that, but it's, it's very hard with the very few number of bets we get to make. So. Let's say you are general manager of a team and this team has a chance of winning a championship and your coach disappeared. Like the Rockets. Would, yeah. Like the Rockets. Okay. Well, I was just saying a general one. And, uh, for some reason your coach gets, uh, is gone. He is, uh, he decides he doesn't want to coach anymore. And you have a choice between two coaches. One coach, his relationship with players is a 10, and strategically, he's about a five. Mm-hmm. The other coach, he, strategically, he's a 10. As good as there goes, relationship with players is a five. Which coach do you choose? So I just have one question. Is his relationship with players league-wide? Like, do all yes, players he, love him? He's yeah, gen- the first one, no doubt. Yeah. The, the relationship guy. Yeah, because, I mean, you... Having a coach that players want to play for is super important in the NBA because, you know, they, you need to be, and, and in Houston, it's, I mean, maybe it's not true in a smaller market, it's hard to recruit, but people like playing in Philly, they like playing in Houston. Um, I, yeah, I, I want a coach who, and on the strategic side, I wish there were huge differences on how teams play, but there are, I mean, there are important differences, but they're not, Long way of saying it's much more important to get the top player than to have them be in the exact perfect system, if that makes sense. The Sixers have just discovered a pick and roll, so maybe they're not quite (laughs) a little different. It's useful, it turns out. It turns out it's useful. It it Uh, makes it so that the defender can't just stand in front of the defender and guard them the whole game. I mean, I think I saw that graph. Uh, Does Mike D'Antoni consider himself part of the Brett Brown coaching tree? (laughs) He did work for him, they're friendly. <laughs> we take credit. We got to take credit where we can yeah, go. We, yeah, yeah. I think uh, Mike was given really huge responsibility with Brett. I think he got like the post free throw offense or something like that. <laughs> yeah, that was his <laughs> the job. <laughs> but actually, no. Mike really did talk about. I mean, one thing great about him, he was at MIT very early. He's worked with lots of different coaches, including Brett, and he he's just like a constant learner. I mean, like that's from his background being in Europe, different systems, different styles. So mm-hmm. um, actually, I'm going to have to sign off because of my cornhole match. I could do one yeah. more question, though, but th- thanks for having Oof. me on. I, I, I got one, Spike, if you don't. Yeah, um, go ahead. And then you can ask us if you want any advice on cornhole or any uh, yeah. draft yeah. strategy. <laughs> uh, the Rockets and Sixers, I feel like more than any other team, doubled down this 
over the like the over the past year or so. Rockets on versatility and like you know we don't even really need a traditional center in the way that you think of to to screen for Harden. Um, and the Sixers in will have like four or five centers uh, at the same time, um, just being big and and basically taking you know escalating what they had with Toronto in that series where they were just like you know wore them down. How like how do you think about that as far as like we want to play as you know, is that is that the edge that you just have to for every team like has to find their thing that yeah. I think what's important is that from the owner to the GM to the coach to the players, you have like a consistent plan, and that <clears throat> you're trying to find. A, uh, if anyone studies biology, you're trying to find in this landscape of fitness where you're trying to stand out, you're occupying your niche, right? And so, what we found is we played the best small. And we were not playing as well big, so it wasn't that hard to say, look, you know, you know, we can't match up big with the Sixers or the Lakers or, you know, Denver, I guess, who has all seven-footers now or something. So we're going to make them try to match up with us, and let's see who blinks first. We'll be us or them. And, and uh, to me, that like, playing the middle doesn't make a lot of sense. When you have to be the best of 30, you can't really play the middle. You've got to... You've got to go for what your edge is, if that makes sense. So. We appreciate all the time. It was again, I said a long time coming. Uh, you are now part of. You're part of the community. You're part of the I'm right. Part of, that's good. That's yeah. good. Yeah. We'll start. We get, have we'll, a good community. We have clutch fans in Houston, which is a really, really yes. strong community. Well, they should get to work on the banner then. Yeah, yeah. You deserve a banner. No, I do not. If we win the title, I'll, I'll, right. I'll be. <laughs> I'll want a Rockets banner, but uh, All right. well, I think it's best if Sam is the only one with a banner. <laughs> with a banner, yeah. <laughs> I think that's best. That should be all for him. So. Yeah. Thank you, man. And there we go. Mr. Daryl Morey finally on the pod. Um, it just seems as if we've had basically everyone connected to the process originally on the podcast except for maybe like one or two people, I think, left. There's still a, there's still a list. Yeah. There's still a long list. I still well, want the I still want the Brian Colangelo interview. Uh, um, Barbara Bettini, obviously. Barbara is number one for me. Will always yeah. be. Um, yeah, there's still some players we got to interview. Some some figures in this mm-hmm. uh, in this odd tangled web of characters we've weaved over the last decade. And the thing about people bring up Hinky all the time. Hinky was on, so like, mm-hmm. I, I, obviously we would love to have Sam on again. But like that that box is checked like that was checked early on as you mentioned in the last pod he might have been our first guest ever so yeah hinky hinky done so it was him or eric snow those are the like i one of them and there's no way to check who was first yeah there's no (laughs) there's just no way to know (laughs) Uh, all right well the sixers play again on sunday right uh i do agree with zoe's take that i would love to see between 15 and 25 minutes of marielle shayok um that's priority number one yeah priority number one and then uh sign up for the newsletter Sign up for the newsletter. Uh, write to rickysanchez.com slash newsletter. As we mentioned, the, the the playoff shirt is out now. If you have the newsletter, you get 10% off of all of our merch, but the promo code ha- changes every two weeks. So um, I think it changes again on the 29th. It's so a great shirt. Up now. It's a great yeah. shirt. Yeah. And we have new masks coming. I love um, that. Very That's soon, right. within, within the next two weeks. Very excited about that as well. And wear your masks. Why not? Yeah. Dude, it's pretty easy. Pretty Come on. Any other parting words? Eat your uh, vegetables. Eat your vegetables. And uh, and that's it. I love everybody. Uh, are you down with TTP? Yeah. You know, look face.
If you don't fuck with me, then I won't fuck with you. If you don't fuck with me, then I won't fuck with you. If you don't fuck with me, then I won't fuck with you. If you don't fuck with me, then I won't fuck with you. But if you fuck with me, I'm gonna fucking kill you! That's a friend.